Hi, I'm Sylvain Berthelot and you're listening to On One Condition, a podcast to raise awareness about health conditions by listening to people who live them every day. My guest today is Christy Taylor and we're going to talk about ataxia. Hi Christy, thank you for joining me on the podcast. How are you today? Hi Sylvain, thank you so much. I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, so as our listeners know, I love starting with a song. So would you like to tell us which song you chose and why? My favorite song is Defiant by the band V&V Nation. Um, the, the chorus says No Surrender. And that's actually the inspiration for my Instagram page, which I named No Surrender Chris. Chris is spelled K-H-R-I-S not KR, like it sounds, no surrender, Chris, because um, that's pretty much how it is. When you have a, a difficult situation, you can either give in or, or say no surrender and just keep going. So that song really inspired me to kind of get up and go. Nice. Um, so for you, does it mean that if do you feel like if you let ataxia define you and who you are then you would be surrendering to it exactly yeah any any diagnosis anyone gets any disability ataxia or any illness um yeah you can either let it uh, i know because i lived it i let it weigh me down and i withdrew from society for about six seven years so I let it kind of get to me and until one day I was like, you know what, just I can't do this. I can't live like this. And I was frustrated, frustrated and I heard that song and I was like, yeah, that's right. No surrender. I'm not giving in anymore. So, wow. Yeah. So immediately I, like you said, that you uh, like retired from society and uh, I don't know if it's the exact words you, you use, but for six to seven years, would you be able to share a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. I was um, diagnosed with a genetic attacks, yeah, SCA type 10. SCA stands for spinal cerebellar ataxia type 10. There's about 50, oh, there was 40 some, but now there's about 50 something of uh, SCA subtypes that are that were found so far, and the list keeps growing. Um, I think it's about 50, maybe almost 55 so far. My type is type 10. Um, so yeah, I pretty much withdrew from society once I got the genetic, uh, genetic test results and they told me my diagnosis. I thought I, well, first of all, I ignored it at first. I was sad when they told me, but then I was like, well, that's not true. That's, that can't be real. <laughs> that's not real. That's not truth. That must be wrong. But about six years after that, um, I started to notice undeniable physical symptoms, um, problems walking, grasping things, my speech, everything like things like that everything having to do with like neuromuscular. So it was pretty much at a point where I couldn't uh, deny it anymore. It was not, I couldn't hide it anymore from people because I did try to hide it for so long. But I mean, you, ha you can't walk very well. Um, it's only so long you can hide it. 
and yeah, for me, it got to a point where I couldn't, and it was really hard. Um, I stopped modeling. I, I was not that I was a famous model, but I was doing a lot of work over years, networking and building up and getting more and more. So I was on my way up. Um, and then I got, I, I couldn't walk in high heels. Um, that was really hard. And obviously a lot of photo shoots, photo shoots, they kind of require those shoes. Um, so I thought, you know, I couldn't do modeling anymore. So I was pretty much just like embarrassed. I had to walk with a cane or use anything. I mean, I'm beyond a cane now. I'm between a roller and a wheelchair. I use both now. A cane is somewhat helpful, but it's really hard for me to use at this point. Um, I mainly do like they call it furniture, furniture surfing <laughs> and you touch the walls and because balance is the issue with the taxi. Yeah, balance is a big issue. Okay. All muscular, all muscles are compromised, but mainly your legs. So balance walking or mainly walking, you balance your core. So you kind of, kind of always feel like you're about to fall when you're walking. So you, just even if it's just like a light touch, just the furniture or wall or a counter or whatever just helps so much. Yeah. Uh, but it's a movement, movement disorder. So the main problems come when you're moving. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so I pretty much with all that, when all that happened, I kind of withdrew, withdrew and, and thought, you know, I couldn't do anything anymore. Um, but but like I said, after about six or seven years, I kind of got tired of it, and I heard that song. Plus, I was reading a lot of like motivational things, positive things, and stoic and uh, stoic philosophy. I followed that a lot, which is very very helpful. I recommend uh, anyone. Well, it's good for everyone, but especially if you have a disability, um, stoic philosophy really really helped me. And basically, I mean, to want, it's a lot, it's very in depth, but just to know, narrow it down, it's basically like, uh, it points out that you have, you have power over your own mind. You don't have power over outside events. Mm-hmm. And once you realize that you really gain your strength, but, um, yeah, all that really helped me a lot. Um, but yeah, just take a long it did take me a long time to get back out in society but i'm i'm happy i finally made that move yeah yeah and you said that you tried to hide it uh, at the start did you do you know why you felt like you needed to hide it was it because of the modeling job and you needed to keep the job or was it because of like what you what you felt people would um look at you like or yeah exactly yeah exactly um i felt like i well many reasons first i was in denial for so long (laughs) second of all i didn't want to talk about uh thirdly how could i talk about something i don't really fully understand Yeah. yeah and yeah the way society will look at you as a whole and I think that has to do, to do, I've analyzed, thought about that for a while. Why did I feel like I had to hide it? Why do so many people I know I talked to with a taxi and different disabilities, why do we feel like we have to hide it? Why? 
the reason why I think it's the societal conversation around disability. And those of us growing up, okay, maybe a lot of us, in my case, I I was born with the gene, but it didn't come out physically until maybe likely my mid-20s. That's when I got the test. I got the test actually when I was 33, but I started to connect the dots. Because when I was in my about my mid late twenties, I I kind of I noticed it was hard to walk walk in high heels and do uh, some other physical things were happening, but very very subtle, very subtle. And it wasn't until like about my early thirties I started noticing more and more, and I kind of started to connect the dots, and so I got the genetic 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 test. <laughs> But yeah, that's, I think that's, that's my theory anyway, if that's my thought. I think that many of us think we have to hide it because the societal, like the societal, the view and those of us who grew up and we see that and maybe some of us unknowingly, uh, we don't know we have the gene or maybe have an accident later in life and you end up in a wheelchair or something. Um that converse that 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 I don't just growing up that, that just seeing how people look at it some people not everyone not everyone by far but how some people view disability I think that may have a big part in why I was kind of I was hiding it for so long yeah and unfortunately um like people who don't really understand will look at people in a weird chair or using a cane in a certain way and it's only in a way when they start understanding when they start knowing the person that that they can go past it it's a shame really um so you mentioned that uh you had a genetic test to confirm the the diagnosis Um, yes so is it something that's hereditary Yes. Yes. So I was raised in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Southern mm-hmm. California. And my mom, I was raised by a single uh, parent with a disability. Disability, And my mother has a C-H-type 10. Okay. So I was raised by uh, my parent has a disability. Also, my her father, my grandfather has it and her brother, my uncle, and I think two of my grandfather's brothers have it. They're from South America. And also my grandfather's mother has it. And that's as far back as I know. But as you know, genetics, genetics go further back. That's yeah. as far as I know, though. Yeah. So did you know then that you were at high risk? I think no. I didn't think about it, to be honest. I think. Is when we're all kids, we think we're like invincible. Like, no, yeah. that will never happen to me. <laughs> not me. <Yeah. laughs> no, that's someone else. That's not me. That's someone else. <laughs> but um, but here, here I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you mentioned that it's a neuromuscular um, disease. So how does it affect you? I think you you mentioned like your balance, speech. Would you would you like to share a bit more about the symptoms of ataxia? Sure. 
Yeah, taxi. Uh, um, it depends on. There's many different different types of taxi. Uh, yeah, and depending on the main, we have a lot in common. All taxis. We have coordination and walking issues and balance issues. We all have our cerebellum, the part in the back of your brain that controls your motor skills and uh, is shrinking. It's atrophying. It's autoimmune, so it's kind of like your. Um, your body's attacking itself um, because we're born with extra extra genes. So I have a in my case, I have a gene repeat that's not like yours. Or uh, yeah, as ataxia, we have a, a certain uh, gene uh, uh, a repeat in it. Or I have in my case, I have repeat. I know because okay. I've, I've had many tests and blood and MRIs and all this, and I know man from MRIs and everyone I know with ataxia or cerebellum is shrinking. So that part in the brain is shrinking. So I'm in a clinical trial and uh, many people I know are in trials too as well. And the trial on me that UCLA, the drug I'm taking, I've been taking for almost going on three years now, almost it's, um, and they're trying to get get the FDA approved actually right now, right now. Um, it's supposed to hopefully stop the shrinking, stop the atrophying from happening. So um, you wouldn't get any worse than the level you're at. You wouldn't degenerate and get worse you're, uh, than where you're at now. So I'm hoping, like keeping my fingers crossed for this trial drug. <laughs> Yeah. So you so so essentially, it, it's a progressive disease. Then that means that your cerebellum keeps shrinking, right? Um, exactly. Over time. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So have you? How long have you had? How long ago were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed in 2013, so 10 years ago. Actually, it's been a little over 10 years now. And have you noticed? progress in those 10 years oh yeah definitely yeah yeah when i was first uh diagnosed like i walked a little i didn't have to use the cane a cane when i went to the the test but now i use a rollator like a walker with wheels mm-hmm. for the most part so uh with taxia it's like uh, our legs a taxi i think that's a lot a taxia is like the, the opposite of someone who gets paralyzed right away in an accident. Ataxia is like very long progression, very slow progression to not being able to walk, not being able to, some people can't swallow. Some people may die of early death because their throat muscles can be compromised. Some people can't even swallow food. Food. Some people can't even talk anymore with ataxia. Ataxia has a very wide range of symptoms, mm-hmm. and not everybody has the same exact symptoms. But all of us who have ataxia have usually have trouble walking and trouble like with their muscles grasping speech. So we have that in common. But there could be different um, symptoms. Like in my case. My type 10, I have seizures. Many other people I know with ataxia don't have seizures. 
I think I know of maybe two other people who have taxi, and I know hundreds of people with it as a group leader, a support group leader of two different groups. I know lots of people with it, and I think I've met only two other people who have seizures. Okay. Yeah. How do they affect you, the seizures? Um, well, I, I don't, I'm on medication, so thankfully I'm, it's under control, but um, I just have seizures. I don't know where they started, like, um, I think it was about three years ago. Yeah, it was sort of right before COVID, right, right, right before COVID hit. And I was like, they're like the blackout grand mall seizures. So I'm unconscious on the ground and I don't, I might as well be asleep because I don't remember anything about it. I'll, I could just hear about it from what my husband tells me after. Really? Wow. Yeah, that's, they only happened um, then, right before COVID hit. And yeah, I was kind of shocked that happened but at the same time I just and my mom had seizures when I was younger uh, but it's she doesn't have many anymore she got on medication and that's controllable it's something that's controllable, controllable with, the, with the right medication yeah in my case anyway I know some people uh, switch around medications um, and tried for ones because some don't work I'm talking about uh, I'm referring to someone I know with the taxi. Um, yeah, just it's just a matter of finding the right medication to control it. Yeah, yeah. So talking about medication, so you're taking medication to control uh, the seizures. Are you under any other medication? Um, you also mentioned the clinical trial, but anything else to address the symptoms? Um, just some vitamins. You know, before all this happened, I took like no medications at all, at all. <laughs> and I would go to the doctors and the nurse would say, oh, and medications you take, blah, blah. And I would say none. And they would look at me like I was crazy. <laughs> but I'm not really someone who's big on pills and medications. So mm -hmm. I don't, I only want to take what I need to, what I have to, have to take. But I'll take I take some vitamin E, CoQ10 for energy, um, uh, vitamin just basic vitamins, nothing, nothing really big. Those are the big medications. The clinical trial drug, which is Biohaven study, it's called Teruzol, which is um, the second generation of Ruzol. Ruzol was uh, it's also given to people with taxi prescribed to people with taxia, taxia, but they made Teruzel. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. It's <laughs> medications have complicated names, <laughs> but <laughs> right. Teruzel. And Teruzel was made originally for people with ALS, but it caused liver damage. So the company, the pharmaceutical company, company, uh, took back the medication to the lab, reformulated it, and now they're trying it on to see if it works for people with ataxia. And um, I saw they're trying it out a uh, trial for people with OCD as well. Yeah, interesting. How did you find out about the clinical trial? 
Um, I found out about the clinical trial. Uh, there's a couple places you can sign up. Um, there's government, what's it called? Clinicaltrials.gov. Clinicaltrials.gov. There's a really neat search box on the top. I think it's the top left. I could be wrong. Uh, it's on the top where you can enter in, enter in your condition. So in my case, I would enter in a tax year, a C, but anyone can type in their, um, their condition name and search it. And then it'll filter and it'll show you what studies are going on for your condition. Okay. Yeah. And then it'll show you at the, if you read the whole thing at the bottom, it will say, it'll give you details on who to contact. If you have questions, if you want to get involved or to find out if you can get involved. So you can do it that way. So for you, because I, I work in the clinical industry and I I know even when you found a clinical trial, it's not guaranteed that you'll be able to take part because you may live far from a hospital that enrolls into this trial. So did you, did you find it hard to get into the trial or was it a pretty straightforward process for you no not at all um also there's also a link on um any of the website we can sign up to and mm-hmm. uh, i did both i, I like searching or doing both um the benefit of doing that is that nef when you sign up on the so the coordination for rare diseases i think something like that i can't remember okay. the exact acronym but if you sign up there, then the, I think then NAF actually a staff member reached out to me and said, "Hey, this study fits you. Uh, would you be interested?" And I was like, "Yes, heck yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, whatever. Help me. I need help. Someone help me." <laughs> okay, well, it's good to know that it wasn't a difficult process at all because that's not necessarily yeah, what we, yeah, definitely, what definitely. We once I started participating in like NAF events, clinical clinical trials, and all that, it really helped a lot. So I, I really wish I I found a group and found a nonprofit earlier than I did. I'm thankful I found something, uh, found all this when I did. Uh, but I wish I had found it sooner because if I had found a support group on nonprofit studies and more stuff, um, I would have made not a different sooner, but at least I did find them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at the beginning of the discussion, we, we talked about uh, the impact it had on you when when you had the diagnosis. And and now you, you've over this initial impact, as far as I understand. Uh, how, what... Does it mean for you in terms of being able to carry on working? Um, I don't work nine to five in the traditional sense. I'm still trying to figure out everything. I certainly don't have. A, I'm not hundred percent. I don't have everything in line. I'd like to get yet. I'm, I'm still a work in progress, as we all are, as we all are. Um, but really, just empowered me a lot to return to society and. Um, being of service, actually, let me back up. So my doctor, actually, actually, Dr. Perlman at CLA asked me one day, because I see her for the clinical trials. Yeah. So after going for like a year or something, she asked me, she's like, well, 
okay, now I quit, I, I stopped working nine to five. Um, she's like, well, okay, what do you want to do now? And really what I really want to do, aside from my own career and from modeling and blah, blah, all that stuff. But the other thing I really want to do is, is um, I want to help people who are newly diagnosed who feel like they have to hide like I did. <laughs> so I tried to reach out to those people because I have a special place in my heart because I was there. I was right there. I know what how awful it is to go through that and feel alone and feel like you're so different. And having rare disease, we don't meet many people like us who talk, talk like us and who move like us, us and all of that. So that's why it's so helpful to have the support groups and meet by Zoom because we're not all in the same location. Having mm-hmm. a rare disease, we're all spread out. We're all spread out all over the, the world, actually. We have well, majority of people who meet on our Zooms are here in um, the States, but we have some people from all over, um, South Africa, Asia, the UK, like all over sometimes who join our meetings as well. Because we meet by Zoom, so it's so easy to, to meet up that way rather than in person. Just yeah. hard because we all have a physical. <laughs> it's hard to get out of the house as it is. <laughs> it so. is, but that, that's the incredible thing about social media nowadays. It's so easy to meet people, right. and and in a way, it's very reassuring because I've heard about like communities and, and support groups like that, which is really helpful, and sometimes uh, like a lifeline for people with a, a health condition. And you mentioned a couple of times a support group. So what type of support group is it and how do you meet? Is that this one you were just talking about? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, through the NAF, I'm a, support, a co-support leader for two different groups. And we meet once a month, each group. So the first group I, I joined was the Las Vegas Ataxia Awareness. Uh, actually, it's called, we're on Facebook, Facebook as Ataxia Awareness Las Vegas. Um, so we meet on Zoom either like the first or second, sometimes the third Sunday of every month. And then um, as of this year, I also run help run the the middle age group and middle age with the taxi group support group uh as well because the taxi does tend to be an uh an illness the uh, condition that that affects people who are older there are some subtypes where the baby can be just have symptoms right at birth but the majority of the taxias tend to be seniors or older so me i'm 43 so i'm middle-aged but there's a bunch of us who are middle-aged too but we're just having rare condition again we're just all spread across (laughs) spread out like unicorns (laughs) spread out (laughs) dedicating your time your own time for others is incredible i will say that uh, i I, i'm giving but it gives to me as well yeah makes me happy no that's that's like nice. if someone would have educated me on, like I didn't know to get what kind of cane, what kind of will rollator, will share. I didn't know any of this. I was, I got a fold up cane from my, my first cane, and because I, I was just like, 
okay, I'm going to get where I'm going and I'm going to fold it up and put it away because I was so ashamed I had to do something. But complete opposite now. Now I'm just going, I don't care what I use. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not looking at anyone. I'm just focused on what I'm doing. And that's that's what I really want other people to know. Just just if you have to use a mobility device, just do what you got to do. No one's, I mean, some people may look, but yeah, majority of people are not actually looking. They're also in their own bubble trying to do what they have to do for the day. Yeah. And do you find that the environment is now more adapted for people who need a disability device? Yeah, it's definitely getting better for for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, I grew up with my living with my grandparents when I was young, and I would see it was the accessibility was not as good as it was. My grandfather yeah. was in a wheelchair and used a wheelchair, and um, yes, yeah, the accessibility back then versus now is better. And I would say we still have a ways to go. It's obviously better in like big cities, <laughs> but um, I live in Las Vegas, so it has pretty good accessibility yeah. here. Do you have any insight into how the condition is likely to progress, but also how the treatment you're currently on may uh, reduce the progression? Yeah, if you read, I I read up on SCA type 10, and uh, it does say that some people, uh, I don't think it'll be me, but you never know. But I'm just basing it off of what my, see, my grandfather lived a long time. He passed away in his, like, 85. Mm-hmm. And my mother is still around, and um, she's doing okay. She's in her 60s, I think. Yeah, 68. Um, but I did read that SCA 10, some people can, uh, they have, they pass away early from, uh, sw- swallowing problems and problems with the throat. And also if you have your seizure, seizures got control, then yeah. obviously you pass away. Uh, but, um, so far so good. I don't have problems with my throat yet or <laughs> knock on wood. Never have problems like with my throat. <laughs> And yeah, the medication is controlling, the Keppra is controlling my seizures pretty well. Well, it's very good. Uh, it sounds like with the support you have around you and the, the, the positivity you have, uh, I'm pretty sure from what I've heard, it, it actually helps with the condition. Yeah, for sure. Well, Christy, I love the, the, the discussion and it's very good to hear that although at first it was difficult, you were not necessarily in a place where you wanted to socialize because of ataxia. Now it sounds like you're on the completely opposite end of it and really supporting others go through this in, in a better way. So it's absolutely amazing. I always love finishing with the same question, which is what's your happy place, a place where you feel at peace? My happy place? Hmm. Probably sleeping in bed. <laughs> Probably sleeping in bed with my stuffed animals. <laughs> to be honest. 
Okay, well, it's the first time we have someone uh, who likes their bed, uh, defines their bed as the happy place, but I can totally relate to that. Uh, so very good to hear. Well, thank you so much, Christy. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and again, like I, I love the fact that you're supporting others. It's absolutely incredible. So um, thank you thank for you. that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time.